0: Aloha friends, this season of the Voyagers podcast is brought to you by our friend Jonathan Yudis, the realtor and real estate advisor at Maui Dream Properties. So quick question, how's winter going? I'm not trying to be mean, trust me, I'm cool with winter. Our guest today on the show is from the Arctic, but if you've had your fill of cold and dark winters, you might be thinking about relocation, maybe a tropical island is in your future, If that's the case and you've got Maui on your mind, you'll want to go to MauiDreamProperties.com and drop Jonathan Yudis a note of hello. Whether buying or selling or investing, Jonathan will help you navigate the real estate market on Maui because without exception, he serves his clients with passion, enthusiasm, and excellence. You can trust him to put you and your family's needs first. If you're thinking about moving to one of the most beautiful islands in the world, check out MauiDreamProperties.com, drop Jonathan a hello, and get started on making your dreams a reality. I'm David Glenn Taylor, and this is the Voyager's Podcast. What do you think about when you hear the word cancer? I think you'd be hard pressed to find anyone who hasn't been affected by it, either directly or indirectly. It touches all of us. A decade ago, I was diagnosed with cancer myself. I did my treatments, I got through it. It was a treatable form, and I've been cancer free since. You can say I got off easy, except every cancer survivor will tell you some horror stories. I, I'm no different. There's still memories and emotions that I feel when I think back on it. But. As we all know, there are those of us who really get put through the ringer. My friend Dirk was diagnosed with AML just over three years ago. That's acute myeloid leukemia. The cancer and the ensuing treatments and secondary sicknesses have wreaked havoc on his body and his mind and his spirit. And of course, he hasn't been alone in this fight as his wife and kids in his community have gone through the ringer with him. It's been a rough go and he's still working through it. I wanted to talk to Dirk and hear his story because, well, he has a perspective that most of us can't get close to. By definition, when you deal with a life-threatening disease, you are forced to wrestle with questions and concepts that are just off limits to those of us who are healthy. And in my experience, the wisdom garnered from this is priceless. So I asked if Dirk would share a bit of his story and what he's learned about life and about love. About faith and about death as well. Be graciously obliged.
1: Good to see you. (laughs)
0: Good to see you too, man. How are you? It's been too long. It's been a while since we saw actually saw each other face to face. It was uh, last time you were here in Hawaii. Exactly,
1: and that was that was uh, pretty much overnight, and um, mm. and then you guys were gone. So that oh. was the beginning of October 2018.
0: <clears throat> Holy cow! Yeah, COVID kind of it's funny. COVID kind of stole a year. Yeah. It did. it did, except for I was actually gonna. I'm gonna ask you about that later because I'm curious about how you know how the experience has been for you in terms of because it stole a year for everybody. Everybody's you know whining about not being able to travel and blah 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 and stuff of like that. But for yeah. you, you're still going through all your treatments and you still been going, You've been having a year. How's Stacy? How are the kids?
1: You know, she's she's good. What I tell folks is she's good. She's great. And then when people like you ask, and I know you want more than that, <laughs> I, I say this too. I say you know what, Stacy is. She's the rock. Mm-hmm. Upon which this family is built she is the one when it all falls apart and it does yeah. that that everyone relies on um yeah. me the kids and so when the shifting sand of my health does what it does she's the one who picks up all the pieces right. and and so I, I i say all those things and they're all true but this is also true what happens to rock when enough water runs over it yeah. what happens when enough ice forms and so As we know, you take a look at the cliff of a of a waterfall, it erodes, it recedes. So when I when I say that to close friends who ask, I say, you know, so whatever we can do, you can do, I can do to keep those river waters away even for a little bit, Mm -hmm. it's helpful, right? So that that duality of she's she's amazing. She's she's doing well. And yet there's the reality of what this is and what this does to us, and the trauma of having a spouse or a or a parent who's ill and whose health is always in question, it manifests itself in different ways. It's very interesting. And it shows itself at different times in different ways beyond the usual, beyond the expected, beyond yeah. the crisis. And I think we have yet to fully understand all that, but if yeah. she's doing well. I mean, that's my longest answer to your shortest question. That's
0: no, great but, for podcasting, man. <laughs> yeah, long, longish answers are welcome here. Yeah. How are you doing physically and are you seeing any light at the end of the tunnel? Either?
1: For the audience, let me give just a little bit of backstory to that. So I was diagnosed in January of, of 2018, January 8th, actually, with acute myeloid leukemia. I had been not feeling well for a couple of maybe 10 days before. In fact, I can tell you on December 28th, I was out shooting with a friend of mine. We were just shooting targets and shooting skeet or something, just frogging around. And I remember feeling ill starting that, it's starting that day. Um, right. I could feel a hollowness in my lungs and I thought, or my legs, excuse me. I thought I had the flu, but then my throat hurt. I had shivers, I had sweats, I had all these weird symptoms. And so I went in that Saturday for, I think that time it was strep throat and it came sure. back negative. And I thought, Oh, no problem. You know, right. I just got to get over it. So and I had another week of Christmas break and I was in bed all the time. I just got sicker and sicker and went in that Friday, the next Friday for uh, mono because I couldn't get out of bed. And it was negative, but they did a blood draw. And so that Sunday, I was supposed to go to a family reunion, couldn't get out of bed. And so Stacy and the kids went and my phone rang at like five o'clock in the afternoon. But before that, this is really interesting. Before that, I had taken a nap and I had woken up and I heard this voice in my head, not out loud, nothing like that, but in my head, ask me, how many more times do you think you're going to get up? Hmm. How many times, how many more times do you think you can get off with this? What I hadn't really told anyone was that I had noticed that my gums were bleeding. Uh, Interesting. I was developing pink spots in my eyes. I couldn't see well. And so that phone call came at like five, six o'clock at night. And it was, it was uh, the company that had done the blood work and said, you have a serious problem in your blood. Hmm. You have got to get to the ER right now. Wow. I am talking about your, your white blood counts are through the roof, whatever the normal range was. Mine was like 20 times higher right. Then let's say the normal is like 11,000. Mine was 180. Man. So I called Stacy said, I don't know what's going on. I just got this call. And so she took me to the ER. They immediately took one look at my blood work and I can describe, I can give you the name. I'm not going to, but like the ER doctor who came to me, she was about our age, a little older. And she grabbed my hand and with tears in her hand, and she said, "I think you have leukemia. I think you." And I thought, "That's great." I knew all kinds of people who had chronic leukemia. Mm-hmm. She said, That's not what you have. Right. We think we suspect it's acute myeloid leukemia. I can't diagnose it here. We're going to transfer you to Butterworth, Grand Rapids, and good luck. And she she did it so well. Yeah. I'll never forget her. So, long story made short, um, I was transferred by by ambulance. I was sent to. Butterworth she was right and they started chemo there's all of that so I spent about the next six weeks in the hospital had a really adverse reaction to the chemo but survived it that's another story um, but survived it and then in April had some more chemo later on for consolidation number of transfusions whatever and then um, and then in April we we did the transplant which was uh, an allo which it means st- I my because of the gene mutation we mm-hmm. couldn't do Right. And so we had to go, we had to go international to get a donor um, because there wasn't anyone in the family, even though I have a twin brother like you, he and I are fraternal. So he was five of five and, or five of 10. Right. Um, his sister was five of 10. And so we had to go international and we found someone who was 12 of 12. Um, and we think Germany, I still haven't made contact with that person yet. So there's all that. So that's kind of the story of that. Mm-hmm. And then we've been alluding to, um, and so that donation went quite well the engraftment went really well
0: yeah
1: Um, part of that process is you have to completely or as much as possible wipe out the old immune system so you've got to survive both that chemo and then not having an immune system Mm -hmm. which is a and then you've got to survive the the transplant the engraftment and then there's the the chance that you may have a form of rejection and any kind of transplant you have a form of rejection right like wrongly or whatever yeah well, what happens when the donated organ or system is actually your immune system like me right. that's what i have and what it is is the graft that new immune system wakes up and says wait a minute this is not the body i was in mm-hmm. what is it and starts freaking out and starts attacking everything um, particularly the larger organs and that's the versus host part of the sure. and that's exactly what happened to me about six months out I started to get itches uh, uh bumps itchy I had already cleared our trip to to Hawaii with my team and so yeah. I was coming down with this like the week before and uh, and they's highly suspected that's what it was so they set me up with all kinds of steroids and said you know go
0: yeah
1: if any, but but here's the thing: you develop any problems, don't go to the Maui Hospital. You need to go to <laughs> Hana. That is the only hospital that you can go to. Yeah, um, that's true. <laughs> kind of um, anytime I get sick, it's I. It's not any hospital. I have to go to a BMT equipment. quit. Yeah. So we went, and I can tell you all kinds of stories about how what it's like, and Stacy probably more what it's like to travel with somebody who's super high on steroids. Um, <laughs> it, it, crazy but and then when i got back then i got formally diagnosed with gbhd yeah. and have been diagnosed with it as i said my skin my liver and my colon and there have been other other complications as well i went from an able-bodied normal looking guy to a cancer patient who barely survived to a person who has a twin brother but actually is genetically similar to a stranger somewhere in Germany, probably. Sure. To now, a 48 year old man with a cane and a disability sticker
0: um, yeah. hanging
1: on his mirror who was disabled and no longer is currently employed because of that. Those are, those are facts, those are what, what happened. So interesting I actually had a shirt on for you for this yesterday that I had picked up and I need to find one for you and <laughs> it says simply this is what a cancer survivor looks like yeah and uh, I saw it in a store and I of course burst into tears and then yeah. and, and, and Stacey, we, we, I said to Stacy we I don't care I'm buying right. it you know? I'm, so I was gonna I was gonna quote flash you
0: uh yesterday <laughs> but I wore it yesterday let me, I, mean, I but, want to see a picture of that with you on yeah, it.
1: Yeah. No, dude, yeah. totally. And, you know, my beach bod right now is a mess. So it yeah. will be helpful for all of this.
0: Yeah, dude. But also
1: yesterday, and I was really excited to tell you this. I had an oncology appointment, just a six month checkup. And I hadn't seen my oncologist, like I said, in at least six months, probably longer. And mm-hmm. um, even though that office is in the same building as my BMT, uh-huh. I'm going to use a lot of acronyms, so let me explain if you do want. it. So,
0: yeah, yeah. That's yeah
1: cool. bone marrow bone marrow transplant
0: yeah. um,
1: is EMT. Those are the folks who oversee all the things that I'm dealing with because of my transplant that I had in April of 2018 and we can go into why of all that. So anyway, I was in the office, the oncology office and, and she sat me down and my numbers were pretty good um, and said, you know, we crossed last month we crossed the three year threshold. I said I know. And I had remembered a number of things about what that meant. I knew that was a big deal, sure. but what I have found along the way is just because I remember that, or because I was even told something, things have a way of shifting. Yeah. And so when, so she sat me down and said, you know, what that means is in all likelihood, statistically AML is probably out of your life that, you know, I was facing basically the odds of for the last three years, AML acute myeloid leukemia Mm
0: -hmm.
1: will return at a rate of about 50, 50. Yeah. Um, a one in one shot or one in two shot that had come back despite my bone marrow transplant. And I found out later because I have a certain mutation called fleet three, it's, which is quite aggressive as well. Acute myeloid Mm -hmm. leukemia is, but this is an even more aggressive variant that it was probably better than 50 50 that it was going to return yeah. and so for her to tell me that and essentially i was just floored i wasn't expecting that good news yeah and i asked specifically about flip three i said what about that i mean she goes actually because it is so aggressive statistically and in my own experience it would have shown up sure. sooner. it was going to show up and again that doesn't rule out that doesn't rule out that it could come back I mean, there's always that possibility and it doesn't take away the GVHD again, another acronym, (laughs) which is graft versus host disease. It doesn't take away that. And it doesn't take away the complications that have arisen because of all the treatments I've been on. Sure, But you know what? It's one less thing. You Dude. know, if you say to Stacy, put put that on the small print on the list of that things that'll probably kill me. Like now, that goes in the small print. We mm-hmm. can take it out of bold. It doesn't have to be on the
0: front. What does that do? So for you to, to to hear that, I mean, I remember when I heard that from my doctor. You know, that looks like you know you made it out. There was a kind of relatively high chance of of this certain cancer coming back inside my chest. You know, in my and and he was like. A, But if we get past, he would always give me, you know, if you get past this point and it hasn't come back, the percentages start to drop. And by the time you get to five years and then you're you're pretty much, you know, scot-free. And I didn't have a lot of the complications that you've had, you know, in post thing. But I remember hearing that when he went, yeah, I think you're good. And I was like, it was something in my brain that had been so dedicated. It was like, almost like this subconscious portion of my brain had been just kind of siphoned off to go, you're going to spend the next however many years just thinking about cancer <laughs> and worrying about it or freaking. You know what I mean? Or, you know, you're know, you going to do that. And then also in that part, that part was like, a li- there was a little, I, I got to admit this. There was a little bit of, oh yes. And then there was also a little bit of like, what do I do in my- that part? of my brain like kind of
1: experience i i do and i think the answer to that is i'm still figuring that out
0: yeah sure yeah it takes time yeah
1: part of me oh, of course overjoyed i mean mm-hmm. I, I i left the office and i looked every single patient in that office who was looking up in the eye and secretly wished them to have the same kind of vision yeah. like
0: yeah. i was
1: just like i wish this for you i hope that you hear this news and i, I right. like just every single one like who would look up and then i sat I sat in the hallway and I bawled my eyes out.
0: Yeah, yeah. I did the same thing.
1: <laughs> I bawled my eyes out and I called Stacy yeah. and I, and unfortunately she didn't answer so I texted her and I sat down and I bawled my eyes out and I and I, I got in my truck and I bawled my eyes out. Mm. And, it's, you know, where my appointments are, it's about 45, 50 minutes from where we live and I've really come to depend on that. Yeah. To me, it's a really good, Commute for me to sort a lot of stuff out, and uh, and so I immediately went to Stacy's work, and I texted her and I said, I-, "I have to see you. Yeah. Like I can't just go home and pretend that this is normal." And so I did, and her office all knew by the time I got there. And nice. they, I mean it. It was a it was a beautiful moment. Great news, fantastic. Yeah. And yet there's a part of me says we'll see. Yeah. Um, you know. Okay, great. Um, um, but. So we're, and that's part of the tension and part of the uh, difficulty of living with cancer, but also long-term chronic disease. I don't remember hearing much about it or reading much about it, but the idea of dealing with the vacillating emotions and keeping your eye on hope, but also, and not only when it comes to medical aspect of your body, but really the spiritual life as well. And where do you focus your time and your attention? We all know people who focus on the present at the expense of the future or, or vice versa. And it's, it's difficult to know where to spend your time and your thought and your energy. And how do you manage all of that with the conflicting emotions and the whirlwind? Mm-hmm. People call it a roller coaster. A roller coaster is something I get on for fun. And a roller coaster <laughs> has rails and I can see where it's going to go. And I, I understand the analogy, but I, I think it's more like being on a ship at sea and the rudder just got ripped off mm-hmm. and the sails have been thrown overboard and you've got no idea where you're going anymore and, mm-hmm. or what's coming. And that's more of what it feels like. Some days it's calm. It's gorgeous.
0: Yeah.
1: And other days it's the opposite and they switch like that.
0: Yeah.
1: And so what do you focus on? So that's that's what I'm I'm feeling with that news. Now, you had asked me earlier, how am I doing? The reality is it's up and down. You know, today I woke up, for example, and I felt pretty good. By about 11 o'clock, I was struggling. Mm-hmm. I had to cancel something this afternoon. I took a nap instead. And now I seem to be rallying. I've had a couple of good days where I've been able to work in my shop. And you'll get a kick out of this. Built a table. and then other days I'll have a hard time getting out of bed and that's my reality I don't know I don't know what I'm going to do but overall to give you kind of a a kind of a clinical if you will thing I've had a number of blood draws recently and so we're always looking at white blood cells hematocrit hemoglobin Mm -hmm. white blood cells being the markers for leukemia Mm -hmm. in the normal range also looking at liver functions because Mm -hmm. that is the organ that really took the hit Mm -hmm. Chemo, as well as my graft versus host disease, and has been struggling ever since then. Pretty much since I was in and left Hawaii. I mean, it 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 was one that struggled with chemo, and then all along was a second organ diagnosed with GVHD after the skin because I broke out in the telltale rash and outside, so you can tell. And that's pretty much in the normal range now. Sure, Uh, my last CAT scan said it was normal size, which is nice because it was. Of fatty liver, which means inflamed. Right. So from a BMT, a bone marrow transplant team perspective, I'm doing really well, but I still have this abdominal swelling for the last three months that we're going to try and figure out with GI that doesn't seem yeah. to be related, but it's a pain. I still have probably permanent neuropathy and, and maybe some myopathy from the ankles down. And, and that's uh, nerve and muscle damage sure. yeah. from, um, either chemo or the high-level steroids I was on and am on. You can see it in my face. Yeah, yeah. I'm weak physically. Um, I walk with a cane now almost all the time. I've gotten used to that.
0: Sure. I mean, in terms of the hope that you have, is the hope to come back to not walking with a cane? Is that what you're aiming for?
1: Certainly, that was our prayer Mm -hmm. from the very beginning, to Mm -hmm. be completely restored. That was my intent. In fact, when we left Hawaii, it was it was my plan and we had a plan for me to return to work within a week of me coming back. Yeah. And I had an appointment that Thursday after we got back. We got back on a Monday and my numbers were sky high um, were bad. And and essentially my graft versus host disease that we had suspected was running rampant. It was all over my skin. It was all over my liver. And my doctor said, number one, I'm doubling your steroids. And you, therefore, you are so medically fragile. You you have no place anywhere near kids. He kept calling them germ factories. <laughs> I said, well, you know, we, call them, we call them children, children <laughs> in education. We call yeah. them kids. But um, he's like, you, you know, you can't go back to work. And that was an incredibly difficult ride home. I was by myself. For some reason, we had borrowed my dad's Suburban and I was driving home by myself. Stacy had driven me, but she drove to pick up the kids and I drove my dad's Bourbon home. And I can tell you right where I was. And all of a sudden I started shouting in the truck, shouting at God, what are you doing? Mm -hmm. Why are you taking this away from me? Like, don't you know the plans that I have? Like, don't you know what it is I want?
0: Mm -hmm.
1: And it was in speaking it out loud that I heard the pronouns I was using. Me, my, I. Mm -hmm. I stopped mid-sentence and I asked myself, do you have any idea what the Lord wants for you? Mm -hmm. You You're streaming down my face, my mouth wide open. I realized I didn't. I had no idea. Mm -hmm. I thought I did. I thought this was supposed to be what I like to call a glory story. It's the stories that in the Christian world we like to talk about. And we like to tell because they're clean and they're easy and they're neat. And there's a happy ending and everything gets wrapped up nice. And and maybe we can even use the word miracle. Right. And those happen. And I know they're true. But I also know that there are other stories, too. And those stories aren't always stories of immediate healing. Um, Mm -hmm. Those aren't always stories of quick endings. And um, for the now, it seems to be one that I'm living. So to answer your question, do I hope to be restored? The answer, of course, is yes. Do I hope to be completely restored? Yes. We're into our fourth year now. And so like the earlier part of when you asked me about cancer coming back, yes, there's happiness and joy and then there's the reality of skepticism and we'll see. Well, that's, that's here too.
0: So you mentioned your faith and your, as a Christian. How has that changed?
1: Yeah, that's a really, that's, I was hoping you'd ask that question because I figured that's what we, would be, what we would talk about. But I think, I know you'll appreciate this. There are two things that, there's a quote by, um, by Tolkien that I was brought aware of by um, Stephen Colbert in an interview with Anderson Cooper. And you know the one. If there's anything I'd have tattooed on my body, it'd be this. What punishments of God are not gifts. So you ask me, you know, what has this done? And I think initially in those first six months, like particularly as we were in Hawaii, I remember feeling like, and again, this is a Tolkien reference. I don't know why, but it just fits. There's that scene in Fellowship of the Ring. And I used to say this to myself out loud, where Frodo is is hanging out essentially with Galadriel and he offers her the ring and she transforms in front of him and she transforms in front of him in a way that is frightening to them both. Yeah. Um, she becomes, as she quotes, I'll be as terrible as the dawn, right. as infectious as the sea. All will fear me and despair, or love me and despair, right. right? Duality. And then when she comes down off of that, it doesn't snatch the ring from his hand or accept that poison, right? That powerful, right. she murmurs, I passed the test. I am, you know, I'm, I'm adding words now, but I, I, I am who I always thought I was. Yeah. I was able to do. And I remember feeling that I used to say those words. I passed the test. Yeah, I went through the cauldron of fire that is chemo and cancer, and didn't lose myself or my faith. I didn't lose in the pit of despair. And there are many nights of despair and many days of despair, and they still happen. I don't know that it's ever a destination. There are still dark days, but I, I felt that very, very, very um, much. So I think it's deepened it, David. Um, it hasn't changed it but I think it has it, it, it's deepened it it's ironic because my world has shrunk in so many ways I was a middle school principal I'm not I used to be surrounded by kids and people and in charge I'm not I used to XYZ fill in the blank I'm none of those things now I like to say when people really want to know how are you doing that's a loaded question sometimes people just want nice sound bites so I'll usually say to them well I'm here mm-hmm. and that's a that's not a small thing. Yeah. That's kind of my nice answer. My other answer is this, and this one's the truth. I'm a fraction of what I was, and more of who I am. And I'm trying to live into that contradiction every day.
0: I think this was what I was thinking about because, because it is a contradiction. I mean, you have you know, in terms of a person's faith or beliefs, well, you might you have a faith in a in a in a religion or, or a theology or kind of what's going to happen after I die. You're going to have those things but the living part of it yeah. is that you live in a conflict especially for us here in America or in Europe or whatever when when in in Christianity itself there's all kind we have a we have a pretty strong and dominant narrative about what happens after you die yep. but when you're living with it here you have the hope that you're not going to die and then you're going to continue to live and watch your kids grow up and you're going to go through that experience so hope realism rationality all these conflicts and then a belief that there's a God that does miracles and loves us all, and there's all these things. They're all swimming in the same soup, and when you go through it long enough, you kind of learn to, I guess, just enjoy the aroma of the soup. I guess I don't know. if That's probably a bad metaphor, but I don't know. Do you enjoy it, or do you get used to it? That's the question. I think that's an individual question. That's the thing is like, where where are you at in that space? Because you can you get used to it. But I think I think that you, I mean, obviously, if you talk to a Buddhist, whatever, they'd be like, oh yeah, no, the idea is to get is to enjoy it right you know some zen zen experience of this of this thing um well, but that's not doesn't seem to be what people actually go through you know
1: I, and i'm not a buddhist yeah but the idea I, i've always been attracted to some of the ideas and the, the way to go is to separate right it's it's to you end suffering by letting go yeah that's a whole nother topic for us.
0: No, but, no no i want to hear like, like what that experience has been like for you
1: okay we're going to get into. i'm actually i'll show it to you i'm in the middle of a writing right now. I've got pages and pages. And I wasn't sure if it was going to fit with this podcast, but I'm going to give you another story.
0: Yeah, do it. Yeah.
1: Uh, this kind of goes right into this. I alluded to the physically letting go of some of the, I don't want to call them goals, but you know, benchmarks of I'll know I've arrived when. Sure. And, yeah. and I don't think I ever really said those out loud. And yet I held on to those things. Sure. In fact, I'm sitting right next to my road bike. I'm in, my, in our office downstairs sitting on a trainer I set it up a couple of weeks ago. Man, I haven't been on it. Right. Um, you know, like it's sitting here though, because it's something that was a part of me and it was a part of what I used to do. And yeah. man, if I ride five miles on that thing, that'd be a miracle. Not yeah. a miracle. That'd be a huge accomplishment right now. Sure. I didn't used to get suited up for less than 20. Right. I mean, five miles is was a waste of my time. So, all that's to say, I, I think this comes from something else entirely. A year ago, approximately a year ago, I was just out of the hospital. Um, I had a rough February and March of 2020, even before COVID. February, I was admitted into the hospital with just kind of, I was feeling run down. I had a procedure or surgery. I can't recall in December of 2019. I think I had my gallbladder removed or something because it was acting up and some doctor of my liver was giving me some business. So that was then, and I never really got stronger. Like January and February were rough. And of of 2020, turns out I was fighting a couple forms of uh, influenza and I was dealing with some other infection. Oh, and I had a pulmonary embolism that nobody knew, right? Um, So we found that one because they thought I had pneumonia. It turns out it was this huge blood clot, like sitting right in the saddle between Mm -hmm. the two. And uh, most of the folks didn't think I was going to make it through through the surgery. But I did. And the days after, though, because because of the amount of blood thinners I was on, because of the steroids, the thinness of my skin, because of just the nature of my physical condition, I just bled. I bled and I bled both from the incision site as well as I bumped myself and skin would tear off. Or you'd have a tech or a nurse forget about my skin because I was on a different floor and not my BMT floor. And they put regular tape on and tear skin off. I mean, it was a mess. Mm -hmm. And I was there, I think, on that floor for six or seven days and I bled. And it was, I just grew weaker and weaker. I was was literally bleeding out my strength. And a couple of days into that, maybe three or four, I remember Stacy came to see me and we had a Frank talk. And I said to her in January of 2018. And that was, I'll do everything. I'll do everything to stay alive for you and the kids. I will, I will go through whatever it takes. Um, I'm not afraid to die. I, I do believe in life after death. I do believe in, in that in heaven. I do believe in all of that, but I will do everything I can to stay alive because I want to be your husband and I want to be our kid's father. So don't doubt that, you know, however, I'm not sure how long I can keep doing this. I'm not sure how much strength I have left to keep to And it wasn't the first time that I had felt that. I had had days of that earlier, but this was different. Um, when I was alone, I came away from that experience, and so I did survive, obviously. But I came away from that experience, um, and I knew something had changed. It took me 12 months to figure it out. I've been mm-hmm. resting this weight of. Of what was that? What did I experience? What did I see? How do I articulate what changed in me? I couldn't figure out if something in that vulnerability, I called it hanging in the veil between life and death. And I was, I was just hanging there. And my will didn't matter. My mindset didn't matter. The the, the promises i had made to Stacey and the kids didn't matter. It was beyond that. Mm -hmm. Um, I was in a place beyond that for the really kind of the first time where I knew I was just wavering. And what shook me so much was that I, I felt, I claimed I saw, I didn't have a vision or anything, but I felt in the veil between that life and death separate.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And underneath was, was this divine, was God. And also, and here's the thing that shook me, this feeling of peace and rest. And for the first time, it was really, really attractive. Mm-hmm it was really attractive. It was calling to me. Mm-hmm. And it still is. Mm-hmm. You know, this idea and this belief that I have that there is something beyond and it's not a bad place. It's not, it is a place of peace. Mm-hmm. But I didn't know how to articulate that. I didn't know how to say that. I didn't know how to admit that I was attracted to that. I didn't know how to say that or, or, or I wasn't ready to say what I just said to you. Mm-hmm. And, and, and that is that it was a place that was attractive because I couldn't put it into words until just re- like I said, just recently, just in the last three, four weeks. And that has been, that has been interesting as well. And strangely lightening. I've been, I've been dealing with the last, like I said, 12 months of just running. And I do this every day. I think of these people every day and those who have been along with me on the cancer walk and, and who have passed. I think of them all. I think of them every day, every time there's a new cancer diet you know like oh it just burdens you right like not because it's you but because it is someone else and you have an inkling every kind of cancer journey is different but you have an inkling of what they're going to go through not maybe all the physical stuff Mm -hmm. radiation or whatever that can be different surgery that can be different but the heavy lifting the spiritual and the emotional and the mental and as you said the existential uh it's heavy and it's worthy but it's 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 heavy stuff. So you feel for them in that, for their spouses, for their families, for their community. And you want to be a part of that as much as you can, as much as they want, because that's important. But each person has to do this themselves. No one can do that for them. And it is ultimately an individual journey. And that can be frightening, too. So... All of that to say I've come to terms with or at least as much as I possibly can with the idea that as much as possible I, I think I saw death and it changed me mm-hmm. it changed me in a way that I realized now for the first I've realized after that experience I realized why people give up I didn't know that before I couldn't understand it before it, as I said my personality is such that to give in is to give up and when it comes to cancer, I found quite the opposite, I had to do the opposite. I had to be black and white, binary, win or lose. And and, um, I got to a point though in that experience where I realized that it is not about that um, for me. It's no longer about that for me. And that it might not be that for everyone. And I understand why people give up and that I could too. Mm -hmm. I understand why people maybe break and that I could be broken too and that has been really humbling it's been really difficult also been really liberating as well i don't carry weight like i was four or five weeks ago wondering when my number is going to come up wondering when it's my turn
0: can i talk talk tolkien a little bit please okay as you know I'm i'm a i'm a fan i Oh. You know, Tol- Tolkien was a Roman Catholic, right? A very devout Roman Catholic. So he had a kind of a Catholic worldview, but, it, but with the war that he went through, it really changed a lot of his perspectives and influenced, you know, his writings, you know, hugely, of course. I mean, he was a, a signalman on the, on the Western Front in the Great War, and he, you know, lost almost all of his friends. I think there was like 18 housemates of his, you know, I think he was the only one that survived. I don't know if you've seen the biopic Tolkien it's a, you should you should pick it up if you, if you get a chance and watch it it's good it's a really it was good it's a good film and it's a, it you know it's not completely factual but it's it's a, it's I enjoyed it a lot one of the things that though if you get into the the pre the hit the kind of the prehistory the first you know first and second age and all those the Cimmerillion, and some of his his more you know kind of intense writings, you know, past Lord of the Rings and the Hobbit. There's this notion that the elves were created first, right? In this world, in Middle Earth, that the elves were created and they were immortal. And so they were the most beautiful and they're the most gifted and the most talented and blah, blah, blah. But that the men, and this kind of goes back to what you were talking about in the quote from Tolkien, the men were given the greater gift and that was death. The price for that gift was that you didn't know. That faith was required to understand, but that—that that was the actual gift, and so that it secretly the elves were jealous huh. that their immortality they would flaunt that over over men, and you still see that in some. You even see it in the Hobbit in the film, the Hobbit when when the hobbits are captured by Thranduil and in, in Merkwood and stuff. You see this, you know, I I'm am immortal, I can live forever, and blah 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 blah. But there was this secret jealousy embedded in that in that understanding of well, where do they go? What, what do they have? What, what happens to them after? And that it was the only thing that Tolkien never flushed out because he flushed out what happens to an elf. If the uh, an elf dies, if he's like killed in middle earth, yeah. he goes to the hall of Mandos, you know, one of the Valar and he hangs out there in contemplation for a while and then gets to hang out in the undying lands for the rest of his life. And everything's great kind of wow. sell it. But it was pretty much like you just kind of get transported to a place where there's yeah, everybody's good, but we don't know what happened to men. He never illustrated that idea. And I think what you were, you were saying right there, this idea that the unknown is kind of the scary part. You know, Shakespeare called it, you know, the fear of the undiscovered country, right? And Hamlet's favorite soliloquy, he talked about that. And that we have this, this thing that, that we are either afraid of, the undiscovered country, or we begin to understand as the counterweight to our experience here on earth in which we can kind of go. Because that's there, if the fear is lifted, as it seems it's been with you now I get to kind of live even more present here. I get to be, you know, more in this experience here.
1: Yeah. I, I think that's certainly part of that. And, and, and I think it's too, it's, it's for me, it was helpful to differentiate between, okay, am I, am I just hanging out of the darkness because I don't know anything else because this has been kind of rough, right. this, this has been a tough three, four years, three years. Yeah. Or is it, and I believe it's this, is it because of that peace? I yearn for that. Yeah. And, that is, and that is partly who I am in, in my faith. That's part of that connection with the Lord and with God. And, and why wouldn't I? Mm-hmm. He's my creator and my sustainer and the deliverer of, of my soul as, mm-hmm. as I, I believe. Mm-hmm. Why wouldn't I got to see that? And I have seen that over and over and not just in the crisis. I need to make sure I say this not just in that crisis, but over and over. It just reinforced what I've seen, seen in the hands and feet of people who have been a part of our lives in ways. I, David, I can't even begin to, I can't begin, but I'm going to try to describe, you know, our good friend, family, mm-hmm. our good friend, Theo. Mm-hmm. Um, I can tell you stories of how he and others, my brother, obviously, Stacy and Theo, they were, they were not the only ones, but they were really the core of who, they'd sleep over because I couldn't I couldn't go through the night. I was that fragile. And even though there was healthcare staff there, they would sleep there. And, and if I needed to use the bathroom, it was pretty immediate. And I couldn't always count on a tech to get to my room fast enough. And so they were there. People from our would come up to the hospital. They come here, they come to our house. They, the meals, the way that people brought the kids. I mean, it's amazing. It's an amazing thing to be the recipient of that kind of love over and over and over again,
0: that
1: you know you didn't deserve. And so that experience that I alluded to after that pulmonary embolism and then coming to terms with, I think it was finding and seeing a a, a rest that was so attractive that I couldn't shake it. You know what bothered me? Mm. Even though I thought that there was something wrong and broken in me, that I had lost something, I don't think that was it at all. It was instead because I, because it changed my attitude on how to how to encounter this now, and as a result, I'd seen it over and over. This this love that doesn't match up with what we're told, what we believe in life, what mainstream dominant society tells us. You got to earn it. It's a meritocracy, a hierarchy. Blah blah blah. What happens when that gets shattered? And people show you something else, and the Lord shows you something else. We have nowhere else to go but to either deny that it happened and just pretend that it's business as usual or to look at a different way of living uh, or a different way of looking at your situation and I haven't needed to take a different way of life but it certainly has helped me look at my situation differently
0: Are you thinking, because you've done a lot of writing and you're writing when you write your posts in your in your Facebook support group, they're long and they're extremely well well written. Um, are you thinking about trying to kind of compile this this experience a bit? Yeah,
1: I'm actually working on it and I'm on my third draft of it. I'm, I, I am, yes. Yeah. I've got a number of, of different ideas. i put some feelers out there with some sure. friends who have published and I've yeah. had some meetings with them. It's slow going. Yeah. But- really 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 valuable so yes i am hoping i'm hoping to do something with it i am working mm-hmm. on a book i i do a, um i do some outside writing that i'm piling into folders uh, on my google drive i've started a couple other book ideas both on paper and in my head mm-hmm. i just need to work harder at it
0: hey i hope you let me design the cover for it once, Dude,
1: once you're on. i would you're absolutely
0: on. love that i'd love to do that so, That'd be amazing
1: but thank you for
0: asking At the end of the show, I usually ask a guest to leave a blessing with the, with the audience.
1: I do I do have one, and this is something I say, um, so we have three children. Aiden, who's 18, who's a senior. Teddy, who you, you met when he was a baby. He was, yeah. Yeah, he's about to start driving. Crazy. And Olivia, who you haven't met, she's gonna turn 12 um, next month. And I don't know when this started, but Olivia and I say this to each other every night. And this blessing means a great deal. The Lord bless you, the Lord keep you, the Lord make His face to shine upon you, and give you His peace. Amen.
0: Well, my friend, thank you. Thanks for yeah. spending the time. Um, please give Stacy a big hug for us. And, and, yeah, you, and
1: all right, hey, thank you, Dave. I really appreciate you asking. Honestly, it's, uh, it's I'm so thankful that
0: you did. Yeah. This was fun. This was fun. I really I'm, I appreciate this. I'm gonna I'm gonna start editing right away. This will be out on Tuesday. And, uh,
1: Send me a link when it's done. I'll, I'll I'll put it I'll put it on the Facebook page.
0: Okay, we'll do. Thanks, please. man.
1: Hey, dude. Right. Thank you. Right.
0: The Voyagers Podcast is produced by Sugar Slid Productions and Kula on the island of Maui. It's hosted by me, David Glenn Taylor. One last thing I want to say, Dirk, my friend, if you're listening, please know that we love you and we're fighting with you in spirit. Thank you for sharing your story and what you've learned, and we can't wait to be able to give you a hug sometime soon. A little shout out to Stacy for her strength, and to our friends Theo and Carol and all the people who have shown love and support to the Hollowbeak family during these past three years. It's love, and it's the best thing about this life. It's worth celebrating every day. You can support the podcast through Patreon by going to Voyagerspodcast.com, clicking on the Patreon link. we got one more episode this season, and then we'll be back in the fall. If you'd like to sponsor, just email us, david at com. Next week, it's the season two finale. And this, this is a big one for me personally. If there's one writer who has influenced my life over the last decade, it's this guy. He's a spiritual teacher, speaker, filmmaker, and New York Times bestselling author. And the dude toured with Oprah for crying out loud. He's my final guest of the season, the man, the legend, Rob Bell. That's next week on The Voyager's Podcast. Mahalo for listening, friends.